This podcast edition of Other Side of Texas is brought to you by our friends at Flint Boot and Hat, a West Texas original. You want a great hat or you want to make your boots great again, go see them at 3035 34th Street or Flint and 34th Street in Lubbock or see more at flinthat.com. Old in Dallas when I made my getaway. I ran a cold front when I gave my truck the rent. Barreling down I 35 with one thought on my mind. Forget the race, find an open space. Hey there, howdy. Thanks for tuning in again. And thank you for telling your friends that you hang out on the other side of Texas. The number, get this, the number 17 political podcast in these United States of america i'm just sitting back here on a monday i hope you're enjoying yourself get out on your drive home or maybe your commute to work later this week as you listen to the podcast there i'm your host jay west texas leeson broadcasting as always from these studios where buddy holly became famous and uh waylon jennings may or may not have participated in various activities right here in these studios you wanted some uh, thoughts to be read by text as we roll along here on your monday 806-745-5800 that's 806-745-5800 good show ahead for you today scott braddock of the quorum report in austin gonna come on with us the capital of texas austin which as some think the name of austin should change i remember as a kid uh in conservative especially socially conservative west texas uh you know that scene in uh let me take a detour for just a second john wayne and the cowboys where they're going up to the northwest and they ask about california and going through california and one boy looks at the other and says hey there ain't no sundays in california well growing up in hell county that's kind of what we felt about travis county and uh austin uh we would uh laugh and smirk and call it austin and gamora but calling him from austin currently named austin is scott braddock of the quorum report and then coming up a man who needs a long introduction but doesn't need it at the same time. Uh, Texas Tech Chancellor Emeritus Kent Hance is going to speak to us. I'll talk about this more a little bit later. Was out last week and my phone started blowing up. I went bonkers, bazook, because Delwyn Jones, a longtime state representative out of Lubbock an icon in Austin and the legislature had passed away who better to talk about Delwyn Jones on this day the first day I'm sitting back here in your other side of Texas command chair uh, than Kent Hance but we were away we were in Wisconsin took the kids we got in the uh, Matthew McConaughey Lincoln, where I like to drive and fake roll booger, roll boogers, kind of like he does on the commercial. At least that's what it looks like, and in luxury style. And I always say that I ought to get 
my kids don't know road trip adversity road trip adversity is a 1979 um, caprice classic and driving it across the country like we did whenever i was a kid this is leather seats captain chairs back you got all the air you can you can turn things off and turn things on you're you're in control you got the screens these are first world problems for for my kiddos but we did make the haul up to wisconsin beautiful country we're in south central wisconsin in madison the uh berkeley of the midwest i want to draw some distinctions here uh, but the berkeley of the midwest where you can just simply go buy a piece of pizza or a dog or something and go and watch protesters protesting protesters protest something else that's how madison rolls the berkeley of the midwest but it is beautiful luscious green you see the soy and the corn on rolling hills as you drive up through illinois and iowa and up to wisconsin and it's as though if you threw a hershey kiss on the ground 24 hours later you would have a chocolate tree uh, a beautiful terrain except that within the next few months that chocolate tree would die because the whole thing the state i mean and the region of the country transforms into to borrow some chris berman uh the frozen tundra anyhow the kids were good long haul for them i think it took us 21 hours something like that you do it better with four kids and let me know anyhow my brother's a missionary and his lovely wife my brother michael and emma live up there and it's not necessarily that madison needs missionaries uh, but it is that my brother uh, is he's out of the country frequently he goes in and helps and this will be of note for some west texas and rural texas listeners uh, michael goes up and he helps third world countries that are ravaged by war or, or some other stress and he helps them reclaim the soil kind of a christian narrative of redemption and renewal but he's got five kids we have four kids and barring a medical miracle will match michael but for now four but here's the deal and it's one i'm going to get into right quick before we get him scott braddock here in about five minutes or so I feel like by the time you're 40 and I turn 40 next March, you get to start laying down some life axioms. This is the way things are. And you've seen it play out so many times that you're thinking, nine out of 10 times, this is the way things happen. And you cannot disagree with it. And what I've learned is that Yankees, and I've, I've worked with Yankees, I've been exposed to people from the North, uh, very well acclimated by this point i feel like they are I, I kind of admire their bluntness like in like a five keystone induced state i appreciate their bluntness but on like a sunday drive i don't necessarily appreciate their bluntness. so yankees are blunt and boring but southerners are passive and a little bit crazy 
and whenever I say something like we can good people can disagree about Texas and how much of the south is the Texas you know west of the pine curtain but Yankees will say what's on their mind to your face southerners will shuck it and say something like uh, well bless your heart and then we'll burn your house down like that's what happens like we'll be passive we'll find ways around it and and we'll completely go past whatever it is that the yankee wants to take on and then we'll burn your house down and i gotta tell you that i was at this shopping driving around madison not knowing where i was going people have no problem laying on their horn madison's like the size of lubbock it's not like you're in dallas or you're in houston it's you're in madison same size as lubbock drive around the neighborhood and people are laying on their horns and it's at that point like as a southerner or a western southerner whatever it's uh, you want to go bro you want to go right now it's just you and them on this street and there's no other traffic in these residentials but i'm at this at this grocery store and i see this little old lady walking up and i'm in the first row and i'm coming out to the lincoln the booger rolling lincoln and i seen this little old lady (laughs) and i'm thinking if i were 90 i would want a seat and or i'm sorry i would want a cart at least to like stabilize to use kind of as a walker and she walks past and about that time this guy walking not running not sprinting but sprinting walking walks past me and says that will roll into a cart or however they talk siri can't understand how i talk uh they i can't do a good impression but this will roll in the cart and he jerks the cart away and walks out way out of his way slams in there and starts yelling and then i'm like well okay yankee social justice warrior you want to go and so in the parking lot i start hollering Oh, ladies and gentlemen, here is a true public servant, a real public servant. Ladies and gentlemen, can I have your attention? And all these people begin to look. And if you want candor, here's candor. Like, fight your enemy with their strength. And I was giving that guy his strength right back at him. He did not want to go. I did not get arrested. Everything's okay. But public servant. And I'll just, all that to say this. I have a couple more observations about the North, like how a can of snuff costs almost $10. But I will take the Southern passive burn your house down over this Northern whatever this is any day. I promise you that. Uh, This Northern bluntness, Northern boring bluntness, I'll take the Southern passive aggressive, go home, house is burned down. Take it any day of the week. More thoughts. Johnny in the great drink coming up with Stick right with us here. Good show ahead. Yeah, but he's 18 and he's pretty handy with a gun. I sent him off to a foreign land, gave him a new pay. And we get with our friend, Quorum Report editor Scott Braddock, right here on the program. How are you, Scott Braddock? Doing well, Jay Leeson. So glad you were back on the airwaves in West Texas. It's uh, It was a little ways away. And mm-hmm. I got to tell you, I just did a little monologue about... Uh, you can go back and listen to it. I will. I know, I know that you really... I listen, every, I listen every week. I don't listen to my segment. 
because I know what I said. I okay. listened to you. All right. Yeah, my, I got a real orientation and somewhat high uh, intuition into mm-hmm. uh, into Yankee life. And I, I will say it made me appreciate... And where were you? I was in Madison. Did you know that where the University so of Wisconsin plays football at Madison, where protesters yes. protest, protesters protesting... Uh, Listen, Madison, Wisconsin, that's one of those places that rivals uh, Austin, Texas, for you know, protests all the time. Yeah. Non-stop no, protests no. over everything no. and anything. I mean... Mm-hmm. I mean, I've only spent a few days of my life in Madison, but I think it would, I think it beats Austin on that front. Uh, it may. I mean, it, it's notorious for that. Mm-hmm. The football stadium, Camp Randall, where the Badgers play football, that was a mm-hmm. union camp. It was Camp Randall. I, I had no idea. I knew that it was called Camp Randall, but anyhow, uh, learned, learned all sorts of things while I was up. By the way, it's 72 degrees in Madison, Wisconsin right now. I looked that up while we're talking. Yeah. I, I'm always interested in um, where what places are cooler than it is here. Seems like everywhere but is cooler. But it's almost like Austin with regard, not just the political climate, but also the, uh, the humidity. So it's like, bro, my brother's looking at me. He's like a third my size and three times as good looking. He's like, bro, it's it's only 75 degrees. Why are you sweating? Well, because yeah. there's not humidity in Lubbock. It, it's uh, the humidity. It, you know, it just depends on um, a lot of things. If you're in Houston, um, you wake up mm-hmm. in the morning, and it really doesn't even matter what time of year it is. You haven't even done anything, and you're wet. I couldn't do already, it. Right? I could, could not do it. <laughs> and, you're right. Austin is somewhere in between those two. No. Yeah. Well, Scott Braddock, let's get into some things. If you are new to the program, I have more people listening all the time. Quorum yeah. Report is the source that you want to know what your lawmakers staff is reading every morning. They're reading the Quorum Report. Uh, what your lawmakers probably reading is the Quorum Report. Mm-hmm. It is a great source to understand what's going on at the legislature and what's going on in texas politics and the editor himself so let's get into a couple of things here and i want to start outside the legislature scott braddock why in the world is the austin city council talking about renaming the city like because it has some sort of ties to slavery that austin did so now we got to rename the city itself the city staff did a review of various names of you know street names and other things in the city that may need to be changed because of cultural sensitivity, et cetera. And you know this has been a debate that's raging around the country, right? Where you've seen uh, Confederate statues taken down in certain places, including at the University of Texas in Austin. Um, and uh, they looked at uh, some of the street names here. Uh, and did say that some of those ought to be changed to other things. And I don't have the list in front of me, but you can guess what they all are. Uh, and then you look at the fact that Stephen F. Austin, and there was a secondary list. That they, they did one list of things that they think they probably ought to change. Then they did a secondary list of things that might need to be reviewed. And the top of that list was the name of the city itself, Austin which is, of course, named after Stephen F. Austin, who's known as the father of Texas, uh, one of the pioneers here, uh, who uh, did have what 
some folks might say, a sort of a mixed record on the issue of slavery. Um, and, you know, it's been uh, one of the things that President Trump has railed about with people saying, let's change all these names. That's not right. We can't deny our history. Others say that, look, all, we've outgrown some of this history, and so, we, you know, we need to move forward and get rid of some of these things. Um, but it's worth noting uh, that Stephen F. Austin passed away in 1836, decades before the Civil War. Of course, a lot of what has been talked about uh, as far as getting rid of various uh, symbols and names uh, has to do with getting rid of those names that honor the, quote, traitors. And so it's very strange that this is now part of the mix on this, because I know people have very, uh, just very, uh, you know, emotional uh, reactions to this whole idea of renaming certain things, changing certain things. People have a visceral reaction to that on both sides, by the way. But the idea that Stephen F. Austin is, is caught up in that, um, I don't know. It, it seems to be a different uh, idea, a different debate. And by the way, even though this was mentioned even in the Washington Post, I think uh, either today or yesterday, uh, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of steam behind the idea of changing the name uh, of Austin. Of course, going back to uh, the original name of this settlement would probably be kind of stupid. I, I pointed this out on my Facebook a little while ago. The original name of this settlement uh, here in uh, Central Texas was Waterloo, uh, which everybody uh, pretty much... Uh, associates with complete defeat and failure. Yeah, but uh, a couple of things. One, I don't think cultural imperialism does, especially more than a century away, does a lot of good uh, to go and extrapolate current values on uh, preceding history. And that's not to... I don't forget whatever issue it might be, but I think the most important thing you just said was 1836. What? Why did Travis die in 1836? Remind me. Austin, you mean? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, Austin. <laughs> Steve Neff Austin. Well, well, I mean, look, the point is, he had nothing to do with the Civil War. Yeah. That was the point I was making. Yeah. Well, so far as there being a Republic of Texas, uh, you can't mm -hmm. have your cake and eat it, too. Uh, right. Scott Braddock and I are rolling on here. So you don't think, from conversations you're hearing down there, this isn't a real thing. We're not going to go through and rename Austin something else. I'll monitor this closely because there has been a lot of attention about it. As far as I can tell, coming out of City Hall, there doesn't seem to be a, a real push about this. But it does make a very interesting headline, and it makes for an interesting discussion because, I mean, if you read the history of Stephen F. Austin and his uh, comments on slavery, some of the things that he talked about uh, as far as whether um, slavery itself needed to be uh, something that was in place to continue the economic engine of the time, uh, as far as Texas was concerned, it seemed like he was okay with it, but he was certainly not an advocate for it, uh, is the way that I read uh, the history of uh, yeah. of Stephen F. Hey, uh, let's roll out the San Angelo Way, and then I want to get out to the State Fair of Texas and that little football game that happens oh, yeah. every year. But uh, out in Tom Green County, out uh, the San Angelo Way, mm -hmm. the Republican Party chairman, Jeff Betty, is calling for party unity, and then, very interesting, and there's a big summit about to go down in San Angelo, yeah. Uh, calls out empowered Texans for people who are just getting used to Texas politics warming up 
priming up with us as we head into January. Empower Texans, explain, give us a little explainer on that, and then why it's significant that Betty would call them out. As many of your listeners know, and as the new listeners will uh, become to know if they continue to be regular listeners, uh, the, the group Empower Texans is the largest, um, well, um, tax-subsidized uh, group uh, that's politically active in this state that I know of. Uh, they operate as a 501c3 and 501c4 and also as a political action committee, all with the same name, Empower Texans. Uh, they're chaired by an oil man from uh, Midland named Tim Dunn, uh, and he has a spokesman named Michael Quinn Sullivan, who many of your listeners have heard of. Uh, and the chairman in Tom Green County uh, said, look, you know, what's going on here is you've got uh, these people who are uh, heavily funded and are playing in Republican primaries and trying to take out conservative lawmakers because what they've been trying to get them uh, defeated in their primaries. Uh, and why would people who say that they're conservatives want to do that? Well, because what they're up to has nothing to do with conservatism, of course, and it has more to do with um, you know falling in line with the things that uh, the founder of the group uh, and a few other funders of the group want to see happen, uh, primarily school vouchers uh, and a few other things as well. Uh, well, this chairman in Tom Green County said that's not a good thing, and he said that, uh, look, it's, it's a lot like the Democrats uh, did in this state uh, years ago more than 30 years ago, uh, when they were dominant and at one point held every statewide office, and there were very few Republicans in state government, um, and uh, they started fighting with each other. Uh, and one of the main reasons that they lost uh, power uh, was because they would started to drive out anybody who disagreed with uh, their point of view. Uh, and I would uh, point to, um, I don't believe that uh, the chairman in Tom Green County did this, but I would point to uh, Governor Ann Richards, uh, the last Democratic governor of the state, uh, who at one point joked that uh, the liberals like her in the Democratic Party uh, sought at one point, uh, they plotted to uh, drive all the uh, conservative Democrats out of the party, and she later joked that they were unfortunately very successful yeah. uh, because a lot of those uh, conservatives then, of course, became Republicans and ended mm -hmm. up taking over the state. A uh, basic argument that this guy it, is making it, is, is, is that it's the infighting that will do in uh, the Republican Party in this state because, um, you know, Republicans uh, don't really have that much to worry about from Democrats. Uh, you and I have talked about it many times, and, um, you know, even though they may be somewhat ascendant this year, they still have a huge uphill uh, battle ahead of them uh, to win any statewide race and even to win some legislative seats this November. That's even within the environment that President Trump has created, which across the country may be a little better for Democrats. Uh, but what it is here in Texas is, uh, these people who claim to be conservative, claim to be Republicans, are doing nothing but attacking Republicans every day of the week. I would point to an example in Houston uh, where John Culberson, who's a Republican uh, congressman there in uh, West Houston, uh, in uh, CD7, Congressional District 7, which was once held by George H.W. Bush, it's considered the cradle of the establishment Republican Party in the United States. That district now is considered a toss-up by some of the leading um, uh, news agencies and uh, political um, uh, analysts around the country, uh, and you have Empower Texans attacking the Republican office holder. Uh, meantime, he faces a real stiff challenge from a Democrat. And so you have to ask yourself uh, at some point, do these people really care about whether conservatives are in charge or are they up to something else? And no. I think you and I agree they're up to something else. Yeah, and that's uh, what's so profound. You lay that out. Uh, Kent Hans, uh, who knows Texas government better than 
I would venture better than anybody in this state. Well, better than lots of lobbyists, yeah. But I mean, but as a former lawmaker, Texas Railroad Commissioner, and I'll go through his bona fides whenever he's on with us here in about ten minutes from now. But uh, I just I look at old Democrats, and he was at that point. Well, this is eighty-five, so proceeding. But even Delwyn Jones, whose memory we'll get into here in a little bit too, yeah, you know that Ann Richards decision was cataclysmic, and maybe even politically, ap- uh, I mean, it was political Armageddon for the party in Texas. So uh, I think that you see people like Jeff Betty down in Tom Green County utilize it. We're going to learn from history, not repeat it. Uh, it seems to yeah. be the theme. Scott Bradley. Well, look, I mean, we should probably quote one line from his letter, uh, which appeared at San Angelo Live. It goes right to what you're talking about. He said, the voters voted for the moderates, former Texas Democrats, who soon called themselves Republicans in ever greater numbers as it became clear that the Texas Democrats had lost their collective minds by becoming left-wing kooks. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't. I don't disagree Stop with that. I, w- I will say this, and this a shout out. People who don't know West Texas very well need to know that there is a state representative out of, and I think probably a lead how a lead horse to become the next speaker of the Texas House, Drew Darby, down in San Angelo. Uh, this speaks to some of Darby's strengths. Uh, Darby has been a strong proponent of public education. Uh, he speaks out on rural health care access, uh, things that some would nail him as Democrat, quote-unquote democratic issues, but essentially calling and saying there's a Republican way forward, but it can't be a purist way forward. I think that's right. Uh, another one of the issues he's talked about a lot is this whole idea of school choice and school vouchers and taking away um, resources from public schools uh, in places uh, like rural Texas, where those places, as you've pointed out, uh, those institutions are the lifeblood of a lot of communities. And that's what he says in a gargly voice. Let me do my Drew Darby. Here it is. Hey, I want to tell you that, that public schools are the lifeblood of any community out here, and people who want to take them away are just asking for us to head to our demise. Drew Darby. Get him on the show pretty soon. So here's that was the best Drew Darby I've heard today. Thank you today. Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I, I tried to do yes, a Yankee accent earlier, yes, and right, I sounded like an Armenian, uh, like in Berlin or something. So uh, and listen, we you're all back ha- in fine form. You're back in better than ever, Jay Leeson. I appreciate it. Was Wisconsin that did it to me? Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> Yankee immersion. You, you really do that some. Cool air. You do that some. Cool air, no, you do some self analysis, self identification, <laughs> and figure out who you are up there. So yes, you can contrast the, yourself with people who are not like you. Yeah, exactly. So we all have this friend Scott Braddock. Who, especially in our 20s, we got our college buddy or high school buddy who completely acquiesces in just, or bro, what are you thinking? But acquiesces into the wedding that is on a big college football weekend. And you cannot, for the life of you, figure out how did you even, why did you do that? That was a big football game. But that's your buddy. Imagine being yeah. a Texas Republican lawmaker and the governor of Texas calling a fundraiser the weekend of OU or UT and UT. Now, I am not 
an alum. You don't care about those I don't care about those schools. Your deal. But I know that by and large in that Texas House and probably the Senate, the majority of the ties in there are burnt orange. What do lawmakers think about the governor calling for a fundraiser the weekend of UT and OU? I like where you're going with this, although I would say it's not about the timing of it. Uh, there are a lot of fundraisers that happen uh, Texas OU weekend in Dallas. You know, it turns into one party after another because well, excuse uh, lots of my activity there. Uh, with, well, <laughs> lawmakers and lobbyists, uh, you know, head to Dallas uh, where they have parties across the city, really, uh, you know, ahead of the game and during the game in some cases. So, you know, you'll have uh, folks who uh, are up in uh, you know, up in the up in the stands, up in the boxes, uh, and before that, they'll meet at various places around Dallas. Uh, as the game is going down, you know, it's a, it's a big opportunity for fundraisers. Uh, the objection here from a lot of Texas House Republicans is that the governor has done nothing to reconcile with the members of the Texas House who are Republicans uh, after he attacked, uh, you know, some of them during the Republican primary earlier this year, calling them basically uh, closet Democrats. We're talking about people like uh, Lyle Larson, uh, who's a chairman from San Antonio, and Sarah Davis, who's a chair from uh, Houston. Um, I had uh, heard from uh, a lot of Republicans over the weekend after an email went out from the chair of the Texas uh, GOP House Caucus, uh, in which uh, the chair right now, who is uh, Cindy Burkett from the Dallas area, uh, Burkett had said, look, we've got this great opportunity. The governor's come to me and said we can do this fundraiser, where we do it all together. Instead of people having parties all over Dallas during Texas OU weekend, instead we'll have a consolidated event. The governor will headline the thing. Uh, all of you Republican House members can come and raise money for your campaigns as well. Uh, and this will be, quote, a fantastic opportunity. Um, well, there's a lot of Republicans who don't want to be fundraising with the governor because of his attitude, not only during the primary, but last year during the special session in which he basically put Republican lawmakers through the meat grinder uh, of having to deal with issues like uh, a bathroom bill, property tax caps, and other things that uh, seemed like a waste of time uh, to a lot of people uh, who are Republicans. Uh, here was one of the quotes from uh, one of the Republican lawmakers who says he will not be going. Quote, the Freedom Boys, and by that they mean the Freedom Caucus, people like your friend and mine, Jonathan Stickland, Matt Rinaldi, and folks like that. Uh, quote, the Freedom Boys and some other DFW folks will be there to lick Abbott's boots. Mind you, a lot of them never attend Texas OU weekend, but they will now since the governor's probably going to be taking attendance. Another Republican said, nothing surprises me anymore. I'll be interested to see how many people show up, but I will not be there. And one other Republican said, quote, the governor has a public relations problem in the House after attacking several of us in the primary. He, might, he may want to go and read a history book on how that played out for other leaders in the past, unquote. Wow. But all off record. Well, these uh, folks uh, were not named in the story. Okay. You can guess. You can guess, <laughs> I, I, I but won't. a good journalist doesn't give up his sources, no, I'm okay. afraid. I, I could take three good stabs. I bet you I'd get it right. <laughs> Scott Braddock. Yeah. Uh, you might get one or two. Quorumreport.com. Scott Braddock, thank you so much. Always enjoyable with you. Jay Leeson, the same is true as you. Real crowd pleaser there, Scott Braddock, to cure your Monday blues. He is at Scott Braddock on Twitter. Thank you, buddy. Talk soon. We will. Hey, uh, we are going to get into a lucrative... 
commercial break. Right now, get back in. We're going to talk about I was gone, so now we get to talk about Delwyn Jones. And if you aren't from Lubbock, you don't know who we're talking about. You're going to enjoy this conversation. Stick with us right here. Other side of Texas. Howdy, Jay. West Texas Leeson here. I'm going to tell you about my friends at Flint Boot and Hat. They've been building hats since 1994 and repairing boots, I guess, since forever. My dog chewed up my ostrich boots. Jared and his guys replaced the heel, made them look new again, put new pulls on, and at a super affordable price, they've resold my boots, and they build great hats. Love these guys. Go check them out. 3035 34th Street or Flint Boot and Hat Shop at Flint and 34th Street. See more at FlintHat.com. Molded out of red clay and baked in the West Texas sun to perfection is the other side of Texas with Jay Leeson. Lord, it's the same old tune, fiddle and guitar. Welcome back in. Last week I told you that I was on vacation without reception uh, on Wednesday. I was on the Kickapoo River there in Wisconsin when I received a reception again. Once we were off the river, my uh, phone started going bonkers with texts, missed calls, and voicemails. This started about noon, and uh, I don't know how much I missed. But what I found out very abruptly, uh, once we got reception and my phone started going wild, my wife said, what happened? And I looked at her and I said, babe, Delwyn Jones has died. Uh, Delwyn Jones, a longtime Lubbock state representative. In fact, the oldest state representative when he left office in 2011, at the, he had died on Wednesday at the age of 94. He tried a few times before being elected in 1964 as a Democrat when the party held 149 of 150 seats. I'll say that again. The Democratic Party, 1964, held 149 of 150 seats in the Texas House for a depth of perspective required to give Delwyn Jones and his service to West Texas its proper due. I reached out to one person and uh, about coming on the program uh, and we turn now to someone who knows Texas politics as well as anyone on the planet a former state lawmaker railroad commissioner U.S. representative and uh, some like myself believe would have become president had he gotten 510 more votes against Lloyd Doggett in the U.S. Senate race in 1984 he is Texas Tech University Chancellor Kent Hance. How are you, Chancellor? Yeah, I'm doing fine. Uh, things uh, are a little warm in Austin, but other than that, I'm doing fine. Yeah, well, Scott Braddock was just on. He says it's 75, but with humidity, what's that make it in uh, Dimmit, like 98? Well, it, w- it wouldn't be that. It, 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 it's a lot better weather on the high plains. Okay, well, so... Let me get and tell me if my reading is wrong. But you enter as a freshman senator in 1975. Is that correct? January. I was elected. I was elected 1974 and uh, started in uh, January of uh, 75. What 
kind of reputation by that point Chancellor Hans had Delwyn Jones established for himself? Well, most of that was beforehand because he had lost in 72 mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, did not come back. He lost to Pete Lane. That's right. <laughs> and In redistricting, he got Hale County and, and some other areas. And uh, Laney uh, got out and beat him, just uh, campaigned hard. And it, it was a remarkable race in that you had two farmers that were actually out there campaigning, campaigning hard, and that uh, and that that Pete won. But they later became friends, and and they uh, if Delwyn was one of the supporters of Pete and a committee chairman uh, when. Uh, when Delwyn came back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, but it too, lots is made of Beto O'Rourke and Will Hurd. Will Hurd will be on this program tomorrow, but lots is made of their road trip, especially within the political tenor and tone of the day. But Delwyn Jones and Pete Laney would go debate one another on the road and ride together. Does that speak to who Delwyn Jones was as an individual? Well, I think it speaks to who he was as an individual. It also speaks to who Pete Laney was. And then uh, I think that it speaks to a different time and uh, uh, different circumstances, uh, different types of campaigns, and uh, different type of rhetoric that you had in politics during that period of time than you have now. Yeah, and especially intra-party as well, both as Democrats right. at that time. Um Chancellor Hans, I want to ask you, there are staples. As a young boy, I remember every Emory board in my grandmother and great-grandmother's house had Delwyn Jones's names on it. Um, his name on it, I should say. And then late in later years, there was the Buick LeSabre, the staple Buick LeSabre driving all over uh, West Texas into his counties and into his district did you what political tactics did you pick up from Delwyn Jones so far as campaigning is concerned? Well, I wasn't an Emory board uh, man. He had that market. Uh, <laughs> you know, he he had it. But up. did you ever think, what can I do like an Emory board? No, I, I think that that was just something. Uh, Governor Smith had uh, uh, polka dot ties. Every tie he had was polka dot. And that uh, uh, Delwyn had the Emory boards. I always told people that the good thing about Delwyn running is that you knew during election years you'd never get a hangnail. And that uh, you'd be able to file any uh, hangnail down that you had. And, and he had he also had some other things. He had a postage stamp. And it, it was a picture of him, and it said, Vote Delwyn. It was just like a little postage stamp. And I went, uh, I, I was at the courthouse, Lubbock County Courthouse. I was over there, as far as politics, I was over there as a lawyer. And I went in the men's room and, and uh, went in the stall and uh, took my coat off to hang it up. And somebody had stuck one of those little stamps on the door and said, Vote Delwyn. <laughs> you know, and just, no matter where you looked, there was Delwyn Emory boards, there were Delwyn. Uh, uh, postage stamps. There were de- he had at one time matchbooks, and that you know when it was uh, it was okay. It was not politically incorrect 
to have uh, matches, you know, at the checkout counter, uh-huh. and still uh, still doing some instances, some places. But he also Emory Board wasn't the only thing. That any little gadget that Delwin could think of for you to remember him and remember his name and everything, uh, he took advantage of it. Wow. Uh, Chancellor Emeritus Ken Hans with us here on the program, remembering Delwyn Jones, the political acumen of Delwyn Jones, where we are right now. Uh, whenever I think you talk about a different time and different rhetoric and different tone within politics, and you mentioned Pete Laney, and I'm good enough friends with, with Pete that I can say that he disdains consultants. But it seems to me that Delwyn's acumen on these matchbooks and post stamps and Emory boards, this preceded the rise of political consultants within Texas politics. So where do you think he thought of all this stuff? Just laying in bed at night? This is how I can no, remember my name? I think that, I think, you know, you had some consultants then, but uh, I think that Delwyn looked at most candidates that anytime you run, you're going to have these different trade groups send you a magazine or a flyer showing bumper stickers where you can get them printed, emery boards, you know, every little thing, you caps, T-shirts. And I think that he looked at those. The T-shirts are too expensive. You can't get enough of them out there. And uh, that uh, other items, the caps, they're too expensive. You can afford a few for some of your staff. But uh, the Emory boards, I think he looked at that, and they were, you know, thousands for just a few dollars. And so he loaded up on them, and uh, he had them uh, forever and uh, really took advantage. And it kind of became a a funny deal. He joked about it. And uh, everywhere you went, he had, you know, he never ran out. Mm -hmm. Uh, If he ran low, he'd run out to his car and, get a bunch of them come back i mean he handed out some n- nearly one million of those things in west texas i oh. just i just wonder if there's a storage facility where there's another half million you know i i today i looked at my office uh my desk at my austin office and i pulled it out of uh, the main drawer at the top to get a pen and there were three <laughs> delvin jones emery boards <laughs> there yeah and i i know i've got some in my my Lubbock office at, at Tech, but uh, Delvin, you know, he worked hard. Uh, he was there at a time that it was uh, uh, you had a governor, a lieutenant governor, and then governor uh, in Preston Smith. And so, on things like uh, establishment of the law school, the medical school, the name change, uh, he was there to carry those bills. And that uh, he and Elmer Tarbox and Mac McAllister and they they had a lot of people that uh, uh, that carried legislation and and then Senator Blanchard opened the opened the uh, Senate and so he was there at a very important time. Had the medical school and the law school legislation not passed in the '60s and early '70s, it would never have passed because in Preston knew that uh, Governor Smith knew that because the 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 population shift shift was taking place and there you you could see there was going to be an explosion of personnel in uh in the metroplex and east of i-35 when i went to the senate in 75 the senators west Texas, you had uh one from uh amarillo 
uh, one from Midland. I represented Lubbock. You had one from from uh, uh, Wichita Falls and one from Abilene. You had five. And now uh, in those uh, districts, you have three. And that after the next redistricting, I think you'll probably have two. Hmm. But you could see in 30 or 40 years that Wichita Falls, Abilene, Midland, Odessa, Lubbock, and Amarillo have one center. Yeah, it, uh, that's just what's happened with the population. And Lubbock's grown, and Amarillo's grown some. No. But uh, if you, if you look at at the area around the Austin and the Metroplex and Houston and San Antonio. It's just been an explosion of people. Yeah, Chancellor Hans with us here as we carry on, and that's what I wanted to get into. We've gone through the campaigning and the the early on political acumen of Delwyn Jones, but I think that the story is remiss unless we get in a little bit more on what he did for Texas Tech and you know what Tech. I and correct me if I'm wrong, Chancellor, but I think for Lubbock alone, and this is not the extensions of Texas Tech, 1.5 billion, between 1.5 and one and three quarter billion dollar uh, economic impact in Lubbock annually. And Delwyn Jones early on got on with Preston Smith to get what was then just a medical center, a medical school based out of Drain Hall. And I'm so glad that I wrote a piece and gave Delwyn Jones uh, some credit, a piece about how Tech got its medical school and how it persevered those odds. But Delwyn was right in the middle of that. So give us some context on to properly appreciate his political achievements. What did what kind of labor did he have to do at that point? What kind of weight carrying did he have to do in order to help Smith get that school done? Well, he he worked the house. He worked it hard. And uh, Senator Blanchard was working the uh, uh, Senate. And but that's your predecessor you have, for context. That's right. Okay. That's right. And that if you have the governor from your hometown, and, and philosophically and party-wise you're lined up with that governor, then you're going to have a lot more power than a lot of other representatives because you've got immediate access, and that's something Delwin had with Preston. And, and the key was Preston. But I think that it was the blocking and tackling uh, that um, mm-hmm. Delwyn played a big part mm-hmm. in uh, making sure that everything was fine on the uh, floor. Uh, Elmer Tarbox was uh, another person that worked it hard. Bill Parsley, who later became vice president of government relations at Texas Tech, uh, he, he was very uh, effective and and influential, and that uh, you had Mac McAllister. But at one time, you really had three uh, representatives from the Lubbock area. And so they they had better numbers out of the 150. Instead of having one or two, they had three plus. They had somebody from Spring Lake and somebody from Plainview and somebody from Brownfield. The, the little towns had, had uh, representation. Mm-hmm. And with Preston being governor, it helped. What happened is that Conley was governor and vetoed the uh, medical school. And after Preston got elected, then the medical school was completed, but only after they agreed to put branches in Amarillo, 
middle of Odessa and El Paso. And there was a need for that because there were not enough teaching beds in Lubbock hospitals uh, to justify those third and fourth year students. Hmm. So what you, you essentially had, you had uh, about half the students staying in Lubbock and about a fourth going to El Paso and Amarillo, had a few in Midland, Odessa. Then when I was chancellor, we got a new complete medical school for El Paso, and all those students went to Midland, Odessa. So that, that certainly hurt, hurt us with, uh, uh, didn't hurt us at all, didn't hurt us at all with uh, a Speaker Craddock yeah. in that we were going to move a lot of, a lot of the uh, medical students, third and fourth year, into uh, into the Midland, Odessa area. And see, this is a perspective I have, Chancellor, is that you grow up, you see these Emory boards sitting in your grandmother's drawers, you're just looking for a pencil and you're shuffling through Delwyn Jones Emory boards, and then you're at these medical complexes and your grandmother has a has a heart attack and you're so you see these buildings and then you begin to put all these things together and then you get older and you think you just cannot and this is what i get on on the show all the time you got to vote your place and you got to be place first the parties can say whatever they want to but you got to be place first and then you connect the dots between the emory boards and the stamps and and the bumper stickers and then the buildings and it begins to make sense and i think that that is i think you've you've laid out delwin jones's legacy in that he was above anything else he was lubbock and texas tech first there's two things to any office holder one, they've got to be a good campaigner, and two, they've got to be an effective office holder. There, there are not a lot of people hit both categories at, and would get a, an A in both categories, and I, I would have to give Delwin an A in both categories because he worked hard as a campaigner, but he was also very effective. There are some people that they're good campaigners, but they're not very effective in the legislative process because they, they have not read the map and they don't realize there's going to have to be some compromise along the way. And it, they they just say it's my way or the highway. Well, the, they don't win on those deals, and, and there's give and take in the legislative process. You've got to stick with your principles in the area that you represent. But I think that Delwin was able to do both. He was a good campaigner and that he was a good, uh, he, he was a good office holder. Uh, Senator A.M. Aiken served 44 years in the Texas Senate, and he didn't have any opponents in his probably last 20-something years, but they said he was a very uh, difficult guy to help campaign. He didn't like campaigning. He did, you know, that wasn't his, but he was great at passing legislation and uh, passing education bills and things like that. So there is a difference in those two. I always tell people, no matter where you go, you're going to have a state representative, a state senator, and a U.S. congressman. The key is, can that person, can he or she, have influence on more than just their one vote? And uh, if they can't, don't vote for them. If they, it. I mean, they they they've got to be able to influence people. They've got to be be persuasive, and they've got to know how to how to negotiate. Hmm. Chancellor Hans, uh, listen, I know that the Southwest Collection has got plenty of Hans stuff, but we got to get you in here. Whenever you're in Lubbock, 
Now, I want to go through Bullock. I want to go through the whole thing one day whenever you're in Lubbock. Can we do that sometime? Yeah, we, we can talk about that. You know, uh, Delvin, by the way, worked for me for about eight months to a year one time. When I was in Congress, he was not in office. We had a flood of applications for small business administration loans for farmers and FHA loans for farmers, and we were overwhelmed. And I called Elwin and said, would you help me? And Delwin jumped at it because he loved that kind of stuff. And he'd meet people at our office at 7 in the morning, and he'd go 7 or 8 o'clock at night. And uh, he never got any recognition for that, but he helped the 19th District. The farmers uh, helped him tremendously. Now, as a, as a farmer himself. Well, he is yep. Chancellor Emeritus, Texas Tech University. Ken Hance, thank you for your time, Chancellor. I enjoyed it. Thanks well, for honoring me. Well, we wanted to do that, and you were just right to do it. Take care of yourself. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Ken Hance there. Uh, we're going to get into a last break here and then get back in, and we're going to tell you about the week ahead, a great week ahead, here on the program, just rolling down the road, other side of Texas. Be right back with you. This is what happens when your mother drops you on your head one too many times. Welcome back to The Other Side with Jay Leeson. So much more to get into this week. Tomorrow on the program, Will Hurd will join us. Congressman Will Hurd, Texas 23rd. And I want to have a specific conversation with Will Hurd, and that is his difference with differences, plural, with President Trump. And the whys of why he's been so vocal in his differences and here's the the distinction just to prime up the program there are a lot of people you hear who have R's beside them their names Jeff Flake uh, Corker in Tennessee the senators others who are outgoing from politics who are retiring decided not to run again who are standing in opposition to the president but will Hurd is running for re-election and perfectly willing to say that he has differences with the president and from my other side of texas view he's doing it without sounding like a gonna lose it on social media never trumper what are those differences where does Will Hurd stand uh, and what is the relationship like with the president that tomorrow exclusive interview with you right here on the program Ross Ramsey coming up on Wednesday Brandon Darby and we're going to get some others throughout the week and then uh, I think I believe we're scheduled for a Trump on a Nokia call as well and also am going to go in defense just to tease a defense of Donald Trump on this trade stuff and I read like the Washington Post and different outlets of we don't want welfare we want trade 
and with these farmers but i can tell you right now with farmers i've talked to since i've gotten back from wisconsin on the road back from wisconsin lots of people stand with the president on trade because he's doing things that presidents and politicians have been telling them that he's going to do for 30 years so i'm willing to talk about differences and fair differences with the president but also that's how he won election in the south in the agricultural south and the midwest he didn't go through on republican party platform talking points he talked about trade and how we were getting messed over in trade he had more lively language that i won't use on the program but there's a reason why trump got elected and it was on the trade issues so the question becomes what did you think was going to happen he's doing what he said he'd do and he's not uh, there different economists put out different numbers 12 billion dollars maybe on the low end of some uh, but he's doing something on that front to mitigate losses in a trade war that we've been on the bottom of for some time a couple of texts james texting in the people's republic of austin could rename itself havana of the north okay and uh, james also asking uh, travis county should be renamed to uh marcy asking houston no i think that houston uh was on the abolitionist side by and large marcy and Maurice wanted us to talk about the Puff Fund with the Chancellor, but there was a lot to get in with Chancellor Hansen. Glad that he made time. And speaking up for Chancellor Hans and for our friend Scott Braddock, that'll do it for this edition. Thank you. It's It costs what you pay for, which is nothing. Get your friend's phone. Say, hey, as we head into november as we head into january if you want straight news if you want the skinny you got to listen to this program here and uh, i'm glad that more and more people are it's a privilege to serve you behind these microphones and your thoughts j a y other side of texas.com i'm gonna get home above average dinner great family waiting for me you'll see you here tomorrow